Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Smackdown Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Deadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night Smackdown. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review Raw and Smackdown, but also NXT, AEW Dynamite, pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review everything that happened on SmackDown this week. What what do you make of the show? The last one without fans. I don't think it was particularly good, like, if I'm being perfectly honest. There is a storyline developing that is intersecting two different rivalries, which I guess by modern WWE standards represents something ambitious and not quite massively predictable and a little bit different that doesn't really inspire me. Um, and elsewhere, I thought the show was, it ranged from embarrassing to uninspiring. Mm, yeah, I, I still love all this uh, Reigns, Usos storyline and Edge's involvement with it and the sort of ominous spectre of Seth Rollins knocking about as well. Um, but like you say, I mean, this is such a show personified by Vince McMahon of like, the baby faces, less so Edge. Edge is, you know, gritty and what have you. He's not going to be, you know, classic white meat baby face. But like, what's going on? We'll get into it with, with Baron Corbin and his downward spiral and him in rock bottom. That's one thing. But having like baby faces and commentators go, <laughs> what a knobhead. I just, I, I don't, it's just, you know, you always talk about punching down and like, this is kicking someone when they're down. It's, yeah, I mean, I mean, I suppose it's partially working because I do kind of pity Baron Corbin, but I also feel like that's not what they're going for. I think Vince is sitting in the back going, <laughs> what a bloody loser. That's what everyone else thinks. And I think, oh, poor bastard. And also, what's going on about his hairline? Leave him alone. Anyway, okay. let's let's dive into this show because we've got the arrival of Shotzi and Knox. Any second names? Oh, you seal no okay we'll get to them in due course uh the show started with a, a recap of what's gone down the last few weeks with roman reigns edge and uso and, and all that basically uh and then we saw jimmy uso trying to go into reigns's locker room he'd actually bothered to show up this week probably saw the ratings um 
Paul Heyman stops him though and said, look, he's getting ready. He's going to the ring right now. He'll deal with you later. Don't worry. He's going to give you the attention you deserve. And Jimmy Uso went, oh, cool, great. Walked off. And then Heyman did his sinister grin. We'll talk about all this in one go, uh, Sige, because then Roman Reigns came out and there were deafening Roman sucks chants. Um, he said, look, there's a lot of stuff he didn't like about what he saw last week. Uh, mostly, though, he's furious because of Edge claiming he's scared of him. He said, yeah, all right. You know what? There was a moment in that match at WrestleMania where I did have a you know, 10, 20 second period of self-doubt or fear or whatever you want to call it when he had that cross face with the bit of leg. Did they call it a Glasgow grin or did I just mishear this at one point? I don't know. It was on Friday and I'm recording this on Monday. <laughs> anyway, he said, look, it's it's normal for any fighter to doubt themselves or have a moment of fear. Even someone like Brock Lesnar. Just pick that name up. He's dropped there. Um, he said, though, he used that few seconds of fear. What happened then? He smashed him. He stacked him and he, well, bought the T-shirt. Uh, and then he said about Jimmy Uso. Well, he sort of alluded to Jimmy Uso and then just waited, which I thought was... So ominous. I'd love the air, the way he carries himself, Roman Reigns. Anyway, so out comes Jimmy Uso. He says, look, I did what I did for you. You were off on vacation. Reigns went, vacation? If anyone else deserves a vacation, it is me. But I wasn't doing that. I was busy doing something that you couldn't. Jey Uso returns. He is back. And he says, look, I'm not doing this for you or you. I'm doing this for all three of us. This is the reason why I'm back. The right-hand man is back. But I'm also back for Jimmy Uso I didn't, he didn't say that. I'm also back for you, Jimmy, though, to become tag team champ, seven-time tag champs, I think he said. And Rain says, look, that's all, all I've ever wanted, guys. I just want us to all get along and be a big, happy family. I want you to be tag champs, and I want me to be universal champion for as long as I damn well want. We just have to do that. Or to do that, we just have to do things my way, together. And there's a lovely moment. He extends out his arms, and they both snuggle in, and they hug and Reigns has got that little sinister look on his face. I, it's, you know, dominating this show, like you say, but I, I can't get enough of this. What do you reckon? Again, it's just, I don't know what my, if my sensibilities just collide with what they're trying to do. Mm. If I've just got a deep-seated, inherent mistrust of them being able to execute a story, <laughs> it just, I'm not really particularly emotionally invested in any of this that feeling, that prevailing feeling that I have is not remotely held by the fact that Jimmy Uso should not be on television. Mm. Like he should not be on television. Um, either should be punished or he should be sensitively approached backstage with some kind of ultimatum at this point, like, please accept help or, you know, you don't get on television. Like, he shouldn't be on TV. He shouldn't. Um, if you can distance yourself from that, pretty overpowering feeling, then I guess this is halfway interesting, depending on what perspective you approach it as. When Jimmy Uso walked away from Paul Heyman, I saw something in his eyes, like that he's not on board with Heyman. And is, if he's not on board with Heyman, as visually illustrated by his eyes, does that mean all of this is some kind of a ruse to bring down this megalomaniac um, Roman Reigns character? Has Roman Reigns accepted that the family are back together? Something he was apprehensive about, them having a tag team run mm. a few weeks ago. What's changed there? Is he a little bit afraid? Does that tie into the edge stuff? You know, I just find it 
halfway interesting in that it's not the seventh match of a 16-match series, <laughs> the likes of which are just somehow all over WWE programming. Genuinely, I'm, un- I'm interested in your take on what has shifted in the dynamic of the Brotherhood, the Bloodline, so that Roman, however many weeks ago, was not remotely interested in the Usos having a championship pursuit. He just wanted them as his backers. So what's changed now, do we think? Yeah, do you know what the thing is? I think because of my adoration for this, this obviously this Roman Reigns character for mainly storyline, I think I'm maybe slightly overlooking quite a few things because Hamlet points this out on, on the preview quite often as well of there are changes within characters that aren't kind of justified to the audience. Now, I know that's not exactly something new for WWE, but this is without a doubt the best thing going on in WWE right now. So like you say, Roman just suddenly being like, oh no, yeah, actually change plan, all big happy family together, All let's all win titles rather than just, oh, I'm not sure about the way you two are you know, working together. And also we often see this within wrestling, but when they, you know, we, we know when someone's like a double agent or something and they're like, yeah, well, I was part of this evil group, but they, you didn't know that, which is why I had to have them try and, you know, end my career to get you on board with it or something like Jimmy Uso is oscillating from, I'm going to murder Edge for you, but actually that's just to gain your, tr- it's, it's not all there for me. And coming, circling back to what you said about Jimmy Uso, yeah, I do feel very uncomfortable. I, I maybe gave it a bit more of a pass because I was so anxious that we were going to get some sort of Paul Heyman-esque line or nod to something which obviously should not be referenced on television. And I completely agree. Look, this is a pattern now. This isn't a one-off thing. I talked about this in the news with with Ben Roy this morning. Jimmy Uso, uh, you know, yes, needs to be punished without question. It's a dumb thing to do, uh, especially when it's happened time and time again. Uh, but he also needs help with all this and just glossing over the fact and going, all right, well, you know, we'll circle back to you getting punished for that once we've you maybe got further along on this storyline and we've got the rock maybe waiting in the wings for WrestleMania. So we don't want to rock the boat too much with that. It doesn't sit well with me without a question. I completely agree with you on that. Um, yeah, it was the the lesser of two evils having him back, but not referencing what happened. But yeah, I, I sense that. It's not something for me anyway, and I, but you know, I could, I think you speak for you as well on this that you can just go, ah, oh, well, yeah, that's happening outside, but you know, this is you know, in kayfabe, we're just carrying on. It's like, well, no, because of you know, this the way this affects the, the bigger picture. Is that fair? I think so. I mean, look, he's an ill man, yeah, he's an ill man. Um, so it's very difficult to reconcile what you know about his personal life with how he's being portrayed on TV. And what's more, it's it's the very transparent reason why he's being used on TV. He's involved in a very important storyline. Mm. Like if you can, you can say this is cynical or not. If he's involved in some kind of aimless, repetitive mid-card program, are they going to make an example out of him? Or are they going to try and be nice to him and like make him seek help? Who knows? As far if as the storyline goes, if this is Otis, for example, just to use someone else who's in who's in a storyline on SmackDown. If if Otis has done, especially with the history that Jimmy has, if Otis does that, he's dropped like that. That's just he's just gone, isn't he? Basically, I mean, I would say without question that would be the case, but we can't say that without question because yeah. that example hasn't fortunately been applied elsewhere. Look, I'll be nice about the storyline. One thing I kind of inferred and maybe it's generous, is that 
Roman Reigns very much sees Edge as a threat. He's trying to style it. Um, we've seen visual evidence that there was literal panic etched in his eyes at WrestleMania, which they've then used as a story beat to try and layer this revisit of the program with a little bit more juice, whatever that amounts to. Maybe he's decided to manipulate the Usos in uh, his literal arms with the idea being, I need both their help to combat Edge because looking at those pictures and looking at the parallel image with Jimmy Uso last week, maybe he's got my number. Maybe I need to pretend that I want us to be one happy family again with the idea being that I'm going to need both of their help at Money in the Bank. Maybe that's the beat. Who knows? Uh, we go backstage and, hey, Kayla! Uh, she's backstage, Kayla Braxton, with uh, sad and broke Corbin. And he talks about his issues recently, his financial problems, you know, losing losing his crown, uh, losing his car. I think he said something about foreclosing on his house or something. Basically said, look, I've won money in the bank before. I need to win tonight this qualifier against King Skane Nakamura uh, to qualify for this and maybe maybe get everything back on track. And apparently, I didn't realise this, if you're poor, you don't get any entrance music because he just walks out there, basically. He comes out to the ring. Uh, Big E, uh, it's sort of the theme, this. They had Kevin Owens, uh, another Money in the Bank qualifier, commentating on the other qualifier. So I suppose it makes sense. He, Big E comes out uh, to sit with Pat McAfee on his special sofa and have foot spa stuff going on whilst all this is happening. Uh, so they they sit down. Big E, mentioned uh, this before, is one of the nicest men in wrestling. And then they proceed to have Big E and Pat McAfee just bully him, just bully Baron Corbin, take shots about his hairline, which anyone seen my father is an, it's a, it's a, it's a shadow that follows many men. So I was like, all right, well, leave, leave him alone. It's, it, it happens, <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Um, and Big E is talking throughout this match about, you know, how confident he is heading into Money in the Bank. He's never had a, a world title shot. And then, to rub salt into an already dodgy wound for Baron Corbin, uh, they show footage of Kingsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs turning up, and they have got an absolute bargain buying uh, Corbin's old car that obviously got uh, towed off last week, taken away from him. Um, and they've got an absolute bargain at the auction. So Corbin's even sadder now. Uh, do the big fancy entrance and Corbin's just had enough, as you probably would have uh, in amongst all this. So he comes out immediately and uh, attacks Nakamura as he's making his entrance. Uh, they brawl back and forth match. Uh, Nakamura eventually knocks Corbin out to the floor and uh, Rick Boogs is, is shouting encouragement for Nakamura. So Corbin just chins him uh, and Nakamura goes out and gets a brain buster on the announce table for his troubles as they come back from the break Nakamura is in control Corbin though hits a deep six for a near fall Corbin goes to, to put Nakamura on the top rope but Nakamura reverses and gets him in a triangle and very nearly just knocks him out makes him submit or pass out basically before Corbin just gets his foot underneath the ropes uh, Nakamura goes for a Kinshasa Corbin counters with a huge lariat uh, but then eventually Nakamura hits some more knees and the Kinshasa for the one two three post-match uh, McAfee Biggie uh, dancing around. McAfee gets on the table, showcasing his lovely, fancy done-up feet now, sitting in that foot spa for the last 10 minutes. And they talk about King Corbin. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I didn't even mean to do that. That's me bullying him now. Baron Corbin hitting rock bottom. What is this storyline, Sige? Oh, I don't know, but I absolutely hate it. 
Um, I don't know if it was my imagination or if they seem to work harder in this match or if I've just been duped by the same table spot you see in every one of every three WWE matches. But like, I'm watching this and my eyes are glazed over. And I'm thinking, who could possibly care? And the answer to that question is about 1.7, 1.8 million Americans every <laughs> single week. And I just like, how? How on earth is it possible for people to get, like the summit, not just to feel something for this or to enjoy it, but to summon a single thought on this match mm. when we've literally seen it about six times, it's so they just hold your investment in this company in total contempt. The fact that they're doing this match yet again is a total joke. And look, it's one thing, right? I don't particularly think this is effective storytelling in the pro wrestling sphere where you get a baby face, uh, a heel, and you relentlessly bully him or make him look like a tit or pull pranks on him with the idea being that, oh, you feel sorry for that guy who's like, who cheats and stuff. It's all complete WWE telling stories nonsense. I don't like that kind of storytelling. I just wish WWE would be more like pro wrestling. Now I'd enjoy my job a hell of a lot more if that was the case. But it's one thing to do this type of thing, right? Where maybe someone somewhere who doesn't have a pro wrestling sensibility and that's the kind of fan WWE is trying to, to, to draw in 2021. Right, okay. Storytelling isn't for me. I left behind um, Saturday motivational trite stuff when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. right? With Peter Engels in the dust. Like, I don't want Big E to be a knob. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 again, if they're going to do the same show every week, I will give the show the same take every week. WWE's, and specifically Vince McMahon's value system, is so warped and so awful and so mean-spirited that it just infects everything. It makes mm. me think less of everyone involved. And I didn't really want to think that about Big E, so instead I just barely paid attention. Yeah, this isn't him, is it? Um, no. It's, it's him parroting what... <laughs> what Vince thinks good guys say about bloody losers. Um, yeah, coming back to the, the, the repetitive nature of it all, you know, making my notes on this today, I was like, well, I've, I've seen Nakamura and Corbin and, and Rollins and Cesaro so often. It did feel like the four guys, given credit where it's due, really tried to put it out there whilst WWE just basically said, well, we're a week away from fans coming back, so we're just going to sort of spin the wheels a little bit. And yes, it's, sort of, it's a nice you know a bow on everything to have these final matches one would hope between these four men uh as a sort of conclusion and like okay i guess we keep saying right we're gonna start trying now but yeah it was just it was lazy booking uh but but hard work from from all four men because i thought these were the were two of the better matches uh outside of say pay-per-view that we've seen these these men have so they, they were really going the distance for something that was just yeah quite lazy just to summarize uh, so jimmy is in the back uh jay uso's there uh and they have a you know get together saying apologizing for everything that's been said and done and jay says oh don't worry we're you know we're brothers we fight like fight like this all the time it's water under the bridge sort of thing and then they contemplate taking out Edge before Roman does. And we go back to the ring where the tag champs, Natalia and Tamina, come out and cut a bad promo, basically saying, um, 
they are going to be taking on a mystery team. There's a, a little thing going into the break with just question marks and a and a shadow like some sort of a, a mysterious outline, like a what culture wrestling thumbnail. Uh, and it's going to be a, a mystery team uh, taking on the tag champs. And they say, get your ass out here, basically. And who should arrive? But not Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox from NXT, but Shotzi and Knox. I'm <laughs> That's like two in a week. It's ridiculous. They come out there. They make their debuts and the tanks there. And and the, yeah, they get three minutes, basically. Um, it, it was it was a match. And it was actually, no, it's a bad match because it was just, it didn't gel, go together really well. Some spots, there was a bit where I think she was going to spring, uh, fling uh, one of one of Shotzi and knock into, knocks into a super kick from Tamina and it all, Oh, not 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 good this. But regardless, Natalia later on goes for a pin. Knox breaks it up and hits a cannonball on Tamina in the corner. Those two are taken out of it all uh, because, uh, well, Tamina's got hit with a cannonball and Knox then gets laid out with a discus clothesline. But Shotzi is the legal person. She takes out Natalia. She hits her with the ball pit or whatever it's called. And they win. Shotzi and Knox pin the tag team champions, Michael Sidgwick. I mean, on every fundamental level, this is as bad as American TV pro wrestling gets. I mean, for Christ's sake, wait a week. One of my biggest, I wouldn't say it's a pet hate. I think it's way more non-specific um, than that. What WWE has done for however many years, and it's so consistent with how lazy they are, is that they have, usually the night after um, WrestleMania, but they don't really make too much effort beyond that either. They will... Um, promote an act from NXT. Um, we know there's a difference in the audience because Raw and SmackDown tend to do twice as many numbers as NXT. So what they do is they rely on the audience pop to greet and receive these debuting acts as stars without actually doing the work of placing them in a storyline, building a vignette, etc., etc., etc. And you know, for anyone listening who cares. AEW do bad debuts as well. Like, that's just a thing. If you do something like this with no backstory for who the characters are, like, at least wait a week so you can get a crowd pop. So, yeah. those who aren't in the crowd, sorry, for those who are in the crowd who aren't really familiar with NXT, can at least infer from the reaction that they're getting, oh, Christ, they're going to be a star. And let me make a play one more time. I think that's a bad approach but they're not even doing bad things anymore in <laughs> WWE. They're just exclusively doing woeful things. So here's the thing. From both perspectives, this was an atrocious introduction of two characters. One, if you don't know who they are, you know nothing about them other than one drives a tank and the other is the mate of the person who drives a tank. If you do know who they are, you're thinking, well, where's Ember Moon? When are, why are these two friends? Why did I watch... Tegan Knox, mm. Knox, returned to NXT. She might do double duty, who the hell knows. But why have I just wasted my time watching NXT and a storyline begin there if this chaotic wider company is just going to suddenly promote her to the main roster? Look, smack on a practical level, all of this kind of works, even if they've just taken the most bizarre route to get there. The SmackDown women's roster is depleted. It was mm. before Bailey's really unfortunate injury. What a goddamn shame it is for her. And this product feels ancient. Look at who the tag team champions are who've just been beaten. Mm. Like they need young wrestlers who can maybe appeal to the demographic they've been hemorrh hemorrhaging for quite some time. 
So logically, it makes sense. The way they've done it makes no sense whatsoever. And the match itself, as you said, that super kick spot, like that is worse than amateur hour. Mm. Worse than amateur hour. The rest of the match wasn't much better. Um, funny how, I mean, I see, a, I see a few people take the piss, but it's not a dedicated botch account because there aren't enough people gotten to to care about WWE like they are with um, AEW. Piss poor on every single level. If you watch NXT, it's just contempt. You are held in contempt. And as I've said a million times, if I didn't get paid to watch this, I absolutely want million percent would not watch this product. And looking at those numbers, this live return of crowd, even though I think they will just go back to a depressingly familiar normal within two or three weeks, they need that one week, two week injection. Yeah. I'm going to say one nice thing about it before I go two foot in on this. Great to see Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox on SmackDown. Fantastic. Two amazingly talented wrestlers who absolutely deserve the spotlight of their big, their biggest show. But like you say, why not wait next week at the bare minimum? Like, I realised, like you say, you've got a depleted roster, but you've filled up, well, almost all your spots in Money in the Bank. You've got your matches at Money in the Bank all for, for the live show the next week, obviously, with, with the Carmella thing we'll get to. So completely agree on that point. Uh, yeah, establish these people, even if, you, if you're not going to do that. 30 seconds. You cannot tell me Shotzi Blackheart is not elevated <laughs> by them showing some of the mad spots she's pulled off and Tegan Knox just be because like Tegan Knox's introduction, like you say, at, at least this is damn with faint race. At least Shotzi is the tank girl with the green hair. Tegan Knox, they went, and that's Tegan Knox. She's got the shiniest wizard. What's that mean? Like you don't even explain what, what that is. You just said they just said it's the shiniest wizard. Brilliant. Well, that's just you just pick two words out of the sodding dictionary there. I don't know what on earth that means. And what is their in obsession with one name? What is what's going on? Like, I get it, right? That's just Vince's weird brain thing. Well, we, we can't call him Matt Riddle because we've got too many mats on the I don't know. But Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox are fine, fine names. Why do you have to reduce it down to one bloody name, Sige? I've got an answer for you. This never really used to happen in the days of yore when WWE was either seminal, pretty good, underrated, whatever. Before he completely lost his mind, this wasn't a thing that happened. Now that he has lost his mind, it is a thing that has happened. And it's happening because, as we can see on virtually every single segment of this show, and this is manifest across so many different reasons, Vince McMahon thinks you are a complete and utter idiot. If you are listening to this podcast, he thinks you're the problem, you're an idiot, and wouldn't it be so much more helpful for you if you don't have two names to remember? Just the one. Just the one. What is this? It'll help you, it'll help Men you in out. black, where they should write your your J, your K, your a number. Like, what? what? Oh, no, I genuinely think it's because he thinks you're an idiot, and it'll be a lot easier for you to remember the name of the brand-new superstar um, who you've been watching on the same goddamn network as Raw for however many long, however long. He thinks you're an idiot. He thinks you're an idiot, and that's why so many of these acts just get the one-name treatment. You'll never convince me otherwise of this. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's move on. Let's talk uh, about, well, before we get to Bailey's replacement being announced, uh, Edge was backstage announcing he was going to call out Roman Reigns in the main event. Uh, and whether Reigns has got the, the guts or probably more specifically the cack to answer the challenge. That he <laughs> he got the cack? Yeah, he's questioning his manhood. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Anyway, so out comes Sonia Deville uh, with that awful announcement that Bailey uh, suffered a freak injury uh, in training. Uh, she's going to be out for nine months. Obviously, terrible to hear that. Uh, we obviously wish her well on her recovery. Again, every time this happens, more so in WWE than anywhere else, I do always just go to the, the, the classic, maybe this is a blessing in disguise, but that's because WWE just just burns people out and you're like, you need to go away for a bit for me to miss you. Obviously I would never wish this on anyone, but you know, a nine, uh, a nine month stint without Bailey is going to suck because she's such a prominent character. Uh, but when she returns, my word, what a reaction that is going to get. And, uh, and hopefully that's some really exciting, fresh new storylines for her because you feel like off the back of the, I quit match aside from, you know, trans- transitioning to, to raw, which would probably have been great it was kind of finished for her on the blue brand. She'd done everything she could anyway. So Bailey cuts a promo talking about her injury and not being able to do the I quit match at money in the bank. And then says uh, the injury is effectively the fault of the fans. And she blames them. Uh, Sonia Deville comes back, wishes Bailey luck, hopes she recovers soon and announced that Belair is, is not going to defend the title at Money in the Bank. She's going to do it next Friday. Fans are back. Smackdown is going to be a big old show uh, and she's going to face a former champion, a former Money in the Bank holder, Carmella. She comes out. She's doing the whole oh, most beautiful woman in the WWE thing. Piped in booze. I'm hot. You're not. And Liv Morgan comes out to have a moan. My word, these baby faces on this show i really like Liv morgan i hope that you know maybe she's got a shot at this money in the bank briefcase but this character is so bloody whiny she just comes out and throws a strop basically saying this is outrageous favoritism why is she getting the title shot what have i got to do on this show etc etc and sonia deville makes it look like an idiot by saying if you'd have waited two seconds i'd have told you that you are taking carmela's spot in the money in the bank ladder match tells her to get out of the ring 
but Liv Morgan has to try and sell. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. But also, ah, I'm cocky now. So she turns around and says to Carmella, oh, I hope you win so I can cash in and become SmackDown Women's Champion. As she's walking backstage, Bianca Belair comes out and Liv Morgan has a little nod at the belt. Uh, and Bianca Belair says, look, I don't know if Bailey's faking the injury or not or what's going on. She's got a lot of respect for her. Uh, but she got and she can't wait to settle their feud once Bailey is back to 100. Uh, percent And she says to Carmella, "I'll see you next week for a match on SmackDown for the SmackDown Women's Championship." Your thoughts, Sitch? It's just a disaster, an absolute disaster of characterization. Like I don't know how people watch this program. I just don't. As he said, Sonny Deville has made it look like a complete idiot, and by that we mean the booking has made it look like a complete idiot. If the idea is that Liv Morgan is getting screwed. Jesus Christ, I've not seen enough screwing for the past 22 years of our lives, <laughs> dating back to the McMahon-Austin stuff. And get a new plot, get a new storyline, get a new narrative, whatever. So that's one thing. So the idea, if they are doing this to Liv Morgan, surely, surely the idea is, right, you are to like Liv Morgan. Mm. She is getting oppressed. She's getting screwed out of opportunities. She's getting unfair treatment. Isn't that not nice? Doesn't she deserve more? You are to like her. Right, okay. In the same breath, she, as he said, she's booked to be a complainer. Like, just kick someone's head in. Kick someone's head in, flipping the finger. If you're getting your thumb down, that's what Austin did. They repeatedly, repeatedly rip off their own storyline and get the key detail wrong. Mm. You are meant to like and feel galvanized by the baby face who is defiant and it won't be held down. Not this milk toast little loser. I hate it all. I hate it all. Um, getting strong Stephanie McMahon 2014, 15, 13, 16 vibes, which is the worst kind of vibe of all time. Because um, she's pally and really reasonable on Raw at the minute. Seemingly, I thought the plot thread where she was being a little bit Machiavellian, manipulative was dropped. And no, it's, it's here again. Oh, my God. I'll tell you one thing. Carmella versus uh, Bianca Belair is not the worst substitute. No. I think Carmella's got something about her. I do. Um, obviously, it's a one-dimensional character, but I think in the right match against the right opponent, she's valuable. So that's not the worst thing in the world, but this Liv Morgan characterization is among them. Mm, yeah, I, you know, I'm right there with anyone saying that Liv Morgan deserves more of an opportunity and and... and you know, in a way, WWE could probably argue, well, we're giving her, you know, this showcase. She's in matches regularly. She's beaten Selena Vega when she returned. She beat Carmella. You know, it's this struggle to get in the match. But like you say, they just fumble the ball so often. There was like glimpses, as you say, of like Stone Cold, where Liv Morgan walks down and says, you can shut up, Carmella. You can get a tasty, et cetera, et cetera, and all this. But yeah, like, come down. Don't say anything. Come down immediately hit Carmella with the recoil or whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. And then say, I'll be taking a spot in that match then. Like, like you say, have some agency about you rather than, this isn't fair. Why am I not in the match? You are in the match. Oh, okay. Thanks. Oh, well, I'm still good. It just, yeah, just horrible, horrible stuff. This, um, Paul Heyman's backstage with Roman Reigns saying, uh, Edge said you got a tiny cat, basically. You're going to have to go out and do that. <laughs> uh, long story short, I'm just summarizing here. Uh, and then we got the, uh, yeah, like you say the latest installment of Seth Rollins versus Cesaro, but this one for us for a spot in Money in the Bank. And uh, again, these guys bloody killing themselves for this for a match that we've seen so often, uh, as you mentioned, but less so than 
Nakamura and Corbin or less with the frequency of Nakamura and Corbin. But nevertheless, I was very much going, well, I'll, I'll skip through and find, find the spots in this match. I'm not going to watch it, you know, A to B as I have seen this a lot. Um, yeah, speaking of wild spots, um, Cesaro's on the top rope. Rollins cuts him off. Superplex goes for the Falcon Arrow, but Cesaro in an insane show of strength reverses it. But then they do that bit where he's got, someone's got someone up for a suplex and they both tumble to the outside over the top rope. Needlessly a dangerous spot, in my opinion. That, you know, looks memorable. It's memorable. It's spectacular. But it didn't, you know, it, I mean, I suppose it did involve itself in the finish generally in terms of they've both taken so much bloody punishment. But yeah, needlessly dangerous with two of your best talents on SmackDown to do something like that. Um so uh, later on, Cesaro's got Rollins in the corner. Uh, he's going to do a, a sit-out powerbomb. And as he does that, Rollins grabs the turnbuckle pad. And Cesaro still hits him with the, the powerbomb, goes to the pin, and the referee just goes, there's a turnbuckle pad there. And just looks at it. And even the commentators go, count. So he counts. And obviously, you know, Seth Rollins kicks out. Um, as we get to later on in the match, we all know this is leading to an exposed turnbuckle. Um Rollins counters uh, an attempted second rope uppercut from Cesaro and then drops him on the turnbuckle, busts him open. We get a bit of colour here on Friday Night Smackdown. Uh, Rollins continuously tries to win by count out, by hitting, you know, the, the hidden blade or whatever it's called, big moves on, on, on Cesaro and uh, him either uh, being knocked to the outside or thrown to the outside or, or just attacked on the outside, including Rollins hitting Cesaro with a DDT on the ramp. But uh, Cesaro just makes it in before the 10 count. Rollins goes to the curb stomp. Cesaro counters. It goes for the sharpshooter. Rollins up kicks, slips out. Cesaro hits an uppercut. But in all of this, he's just so worn down by it all. Cesaro goes down to one knee and that allows Rollins to hit the curb stomp. One, two, three. Seth Rollins qualifies for money in the bank. And uh, yeah, we needed a few heels in that match, I suppose. Disappointed for Cesaro, though. Uh, yeah, I mean... Remember, like three or four months ago, when Cesaro's getting his big push, then I mean, it only took him 10 years, but you know, more fool you for saying it's not going to happen. Well, it didn't happen, he's firmly been relegated back to the mid card, and they clearly didn't see enough in him as they never have. So, never give me that drivel that they're going to push him again. Look, this is probably the best match they've had since WrestleMania, I thought, way better than the one at Hell in a Cell, I think it was, mm-hmm. and they've had about 18. So I can't really get jazzed and inspired and hot about this match. But they told a really nice story, I guess, of Cesaro's strength versus Seth's cunning. There's only so many times when he can do, oh, he's going to do the curb stop. No, he's going to do the low key thing. So I've seen that spot about 10 different times <laughs> in about 10 different weeks. And it's just like, right, okay, I just can't be asked. There were, it's weird. Like wrestling is so wrestling. Like, isn't it good that he got his head split open and a bit more drama to the match? It's just this bit of cruelty. But, you know, the wrestlers are probably happy that, you know, provided it's a surface wound, that's not going to give them too much trouble. They're probably happy to get busted open um, because it makes the match better, as is the eternal timeless rule of pro wrestling. That's precisely what it did here. So it was elevated into halfway memorable as a result of that. You know, these guys, they can tell a story. They can articulate the story with some really nice sequences. They did precisely that. Strength versus cutting, blah, 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 blah. Um, Obviously, Seth has to win because he's having the match with Edge. But that feels way more ancient than it has any right to, considering that it's never happened. Hmm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, Cesaro's push is over. So there, there is that. I completely agree. Um, 
But I will say, if I had to pick one of the two, I suppose Corbyn's a heel. Again, a very, you know, downtrodden, <laughs> bullied heel, but a heel nonetheless. If I had to pick a heel out of the two matches that I had to qualify for the Bank, obviously it's going to be Seth Rollins, but a shame that uh, Cesaro is not part of that match. But let's be honest, we all know he wasn't going to win anyway, so it doesn't really matter uh, in WWE size to, 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 to that extent anyway. Um, we'll go backstage. The Usos uh, are going to attack Edge uh, initially by knocking on his door. Uh, hello. Uh, at, uh, pre-main event attack service. Anyone in? <laughs> uh, Jay goes, no, you got to wait. And he goes, oh, wait till Edge leaves. And Jay goes, no, wait till the bloody ad break is over so we can come back to this. A couple of absolute dummies. I meant to think of one or both of these as your big baby faces that all of this Roman Reigns stuff's building to. And they're like the inept guys in the movie who are like incapable of executing plans. Yeah. A couple of absolute idiots. Yeah, the goons that the, the big boss sends. It's them. like Nakazawa and Cutler. That's what they are. And yet there isn't a Moxie, there isn't a Kingston, there isn't a good baby for I suppose there's Edge, but you know, not really. Yeah. Sorry, it, go on. It's more, I don't know why this reference has popped into my head. It's more sort of Bugsy Malone with Fat Sam going, I told you to send him to sleep with the fishes. What's going on? And they just, oh, I can't do it, boss. I, I, I messed up. I'm sorry. Because yeah, it was the bit where he went to the door. He went, what are you doing? Attack him when he comes out, and they go, Okay, let's wait. Sorry, boss. <laughs> Ad break. They come back, they're still waiting. They go, It's been out three minutes. Yeah, I might as well go and have a look. Go in, no edge, just, just no edge. He's not there because he's uh sneaking up on Seth Rollins, who's been uh, interviewed by Kayla. Uh, Seth is uh over the moon to have qualified for the ladder match. Uh, and he talks about his history with that briefcase and cashing in on one Roman Reigns. I had a horrible flashback in here, Sige, to the, uh, what was it? Godzilla looking ass. So what was the- Yes, yes, he did that. He did that. Harrowing. That Roman Reigns, double chief. Stop it. No. Um, but he thinks he should be getting a title shot anyway. But regardless, we'll just have to win money in the bank and cash that in. Uh, Edge is behind him the whole time. Edge says, oh, I heard this whining noise. i got to see what it is. And it's you, you little bitch. He doesn't say that. He says something along those lines, though. Uh, whilst you were bitching and moaning, though, he basically says and complaining, I just went and took the title shot. I am going to go and uh, deal with Roman Reigns right now. And Rollins is furious as Edge walks away. Anything you want to say about this? Nothing more than... Look, this match will be broadly very good. I don't feel particularly inspired by it, but if you're going to approach it from the perspective of art, right, if you're not completely dead inside, yes, this will be a really good match. Yes, we're actually building it when one rivalry is still taking place. It's remarkably competent WWE storytelling. (laughs) Yes. It's Uh, good when it can be made. That's the bar we're at. And uh, then we got a brief segment with the uh, Alpha Academy before we get to the main event, uh, showcasing... Otis murdering both of the Street Profits. And uh, Chad Gable cuts a promo talking about how proud he is of his star pupil, uh, Otis, who says, oh, no, so Chad Gable says, doesn't matter if you're the Street Profits, if you're Edge, or even if you're Roman Reigns, uh, Otis concludes by saying, we will destroy everyone. Baby steps, but at least the Alpha Academy aren't losing, Sige. At least. Yes. It's... uh, it also, I don't know why, it's been ages, 
but it is surreal to hear Otis say things like, we're going to destroy everyone and then not say the word or do something like that. Right, main event time. Uh, out comes Edge. Um, he takes the piss out of Reigns and the Usos for oh, being all friendly again. Let's get you some matching lays, etc. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he's having fun with his PowerPoint presentation again. The uh, the shots of Reigns and now Jimmy Uso with that bar with the chair across the cross face thing. Uh, he demands Reigns comes out. We cut backstage and Reigns quite explicitly <laughs> says, "I'm only going to deal with this. You two stay here." I'm going to handle this on my own. And he makes sure Paul Heyman stays backstage as well. Reigns walks out and Jay goes, it's a trap. Like he's bloody that fish thing in Star Wars. I don't know what it is. Star Trek, Star Wars. No. Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars is Star Wars. Uh, so the Usos decide they're going to go out and help them. Uh, Reigns is looking all confident in himself. And then the Usos music hits and he just fuming that they can't follow the most basic of instructions he says you've got to handle this without me so he said i got a tiny cack i gotta handle this myself basically um roman reigns i don't know it's just because i love him but roman reigns can make taking a jacket off look amazing the way he just slowly ends it and i'm sure this is more of sort of hamlet street but the fact you've got one Uso in black in a black t-shirt, one Uso in a white t-shirt, and Roman Reigns in that tracksuit, and then he unzips it and he's got that white head of the table tea. It just looks incredible. I'm just do you know I'm just happy that they've know actually how to book this bloke because Jesus, how I don't know how they managed to get it so wrong for so long. So yes, um Roman, Roman Reigns gets in the ring, Edge allows him to step in, and they start punching each other, brawling in the ring. As the Usos jump jump up on the apron to, to get the numbers advantage, the Mysterio's music hits and they come through the digital crowd with chairs to to nail the Usos who obviously are looking behind them up the ramp rather than uh, in the ring. So that gives the Mysterio's the advantage. Edge hits a DDT on Reigns, goes to the corner, he's about to spear him, but the Usos who've uh, fought back and, and beaten down the Mysterio's. Jay grabs Edge's leg. Jimmy hits him with a super kick. But then the Mysterios get back in. Double 619 on the Usos. Edge spears Jay Uso. In the midst of all this, Roman Reigns has bailed. His hair looks absolutely fantastic, by the way, guys. Um, and, yeah, the, the Mysterios are dominating what is left of the bloodline in the ring. And that allows Edge to uh, break off another piece of the chair and do the crossface chair thing in the mouth to, to Jimmy and then to Jay and then to Jimmy again and Reigns just does not want anything involved in this, does not want a piece of, of any of this. He's just standing at the top of the ramp and uh, Edge is yeah, murdering the Usos as we go off the air. Oh, thrilling conclusion. Uh, yeah, the, some of the action and the brawling look really, really strong. There's a six-man tag. There are two separate storyline developments converging which is the one level above just doing the same matches all the time, which by WWE standards in 2021 is miraculous. Um, yeah, I don't hate any of this at all. I think the six man will be hot because Edge was massively over mm. in front of that uh, WrestleMania crowd. There will be a crowd to receive the six man. Um Rey Mysterio didn't really get anything at WrestleMania, so people will be thrilled to see him. So hopefully he gets a showpiece role. All of this is broadly good. It is. Um, I just still think the Usos are idiots. And even if they are 
conniving to pull off some kind of master plan. They're still looking like idiots in a contrived build towards whatever the payoff is going to be. But for a week one, two, whatever, in terms of getting the, the whole family back together, this is strong. This was strong. And Roman, as I said, Roman Reigns, like, he's so terrifying. Sometimes he doesn't even have to unzip the jacket. Sometimes <laughs> he just simply has to stand still without a look on his face because he radiates it. He's a mesmerizing presence. And I've said before, like, he's the best thing that happened to pro wrestling in 2015. Why didn't they just do this then? Mm. It's ridiculous. But nevertheless, like you say, cannot wait to hear and see the reaction that, that a lot of these guys get in uh, in the forthcoming weeks. And just, oh, I know, I know we've seen it before and we've obviously got it on on, on uh, Dynamite with, with Road Rager and Fighter Fest and all the stuff that's going on there. And we had it at WrestleMania. But my word, it, I know everything isn't back to normal, Sid. We have to caveat all that all the time. Uh, it is still very dangerous out there. Follow all the, the government uh, medical instructions and wear a mask and all that. But fans back next or next week, this week, I should say, is such a, a thrilling development uh, across the board for the world of wrestling. Yeah, I need it. I need it. It's irresponsible. It's reckless. I need it. These Thunderdome shows and the absolutely putrid quality of WWE TV in 2021, I at least need. And let's give us 2019. I feel like Pierce, give us 2019 rollback. <laughs> that is my prevailing opinion on everything. Um, be good to get a gauge of how little some of this stuff is over, and surely it is not over. Yeah, I need it. Done, 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 done with the Thunderdome, these repetitive, contemptible shows. Yep, I can't wait for this time next week. Mm, yeah, really, really. I've got over the frigging World Cup and the Euros as well at this point. <laughs> uh, well let us know your thoughts and everything that happened on the, the final Smackdown without fans with Edge and the Mysterios dominating the bloodline on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE watch they can follow both of us you can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick follow me at Adam Wilborn follow us all at WhatCultureWWE as I said make sure you subscribe to what Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts later on today myself and Michael Hamplett will be looking ahead to the final Monday Night Raw without fans the go home show ahead of money in the bank but for now this has been the Smackdown Review my thanks to Michael Sidgwick thank you for joining us and we will see you soon Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.